everyone. Welcome to the program. I'm Matt Belanger filling in for Tom Hauser this week. The Department of Corrections is outlining how it's going to address staffing shortfalls and safety concerns following a deadly attack on a corrections officer at the Stillwater Prison. We have not been asleep at the wheel when it comes to staff safety. It is a daily concern for us. It's a daily concern for our wardens and our people in the community. Commissioner Tom Roy outlined those plans on Friday, more than a week after the death of Officer Joseph Gom. They include more cameras in certain areas of the prisons, additional Wi-Fi to handle technological security upgrades, and repurposing a welding area where Gom was killed. As of Friday, the Stillwater prison remained on lockdown. The DOC is offering support for staffers, too. Roy says he's had several heartbreaking conversations with Gom's family. Very emotional. Um, very personal, and I would probably not like to characterize those in front of a dozen cameras. Victims' families sometimes vary by membership and how they perceive the crime and how they perceive us. Since Officer Gom's death, we've heard from other corrections employees who say they need help and they are not getting it. Our investigative reporter Ryan Raich tells us why the governor is standing by the corrections commissioner. Governor Mark Dayton is making his voice clear. He will not fire the head of corrections, Commissioner Tom Roy. His support comes as the cries for Roy's resignation grow louder. In regards to the commissioner, Tom Roy, do you have confidence. I do have confidence in him. I think he's got a very, very difficult job. The understaffing in our prisons has been known, to, has been brought forward by him to the legislature repeatedly in the last few years. The governor and the Department of Corrections says it requested funds to hire 187 additional officers in the last seven years. The legislature has only approved 15. Senate Republicans pushed back today, saying the department's budget has increased in recent years and suggest inappropriate spending. The politics is frustrating to the current officers who are returning to work in fear. We need help. We've been saying for years that we need help. Nothing gets past the wall. This officer who rushed to help his fallen colleague told Five Eyewitness News it goes beyond staffing. He and others want to know why the department won't put up cameras in the part of the prison where the deadly attack occurred. We asked the governor. Why aren't there cameras there? Well, I don't, I don't know the facts. I haven't discussed uh, in respect for the, uh, you know, the horror that everybody in the corrections uh, administration is, is, is going through. This, this is unprecedented. This has never happened before in Minnesota. Ryan Raich, 5 Eyewitness News. Roy says he's been in contact with some legislative leaders this week, and he says they seemed a bit more interested in hearing about what was going on with the DOC since Officer Gom's murder. However, he says they didn't express whether they'd support his budget plans. Now, on Thursday, officers from all across the state gathered to say goodbye to Officer Gom. The service was held at North Lights Lutheran Church in Arden Hills. I can assure you from the very bottom of my heart, Joe will never be forgotten. After the service, there was a nine-mile procession, and many from the community gathered to pay their respects to the corrections officer as vehicles made their way toward Roselawn Cemetery. Very heartwarming, knowing that there's so many people that care and so much support. 
Gom worked for the Department of Corrections for 16 years. He leaves behind his mother and five siblings. We will, of course, continue tracking this investigation and the fallout from Officer Gom's death throughout this election cycle and into the next legislative session. At KSTP.com, you can watch interviews with current and former employees of Minnesota's correction facilities, and you can see Officer Joseph Gom's funeral and procession. Well, Minnesota voters are on track to triple their participation in early voting for the August primary. Numbers just released from the Secretary of State's office show more than 29,000 voters have already cast their ballots as of July 26th. That's up more than 150 percent from 2016 when just 11,800 voters had cast their ballots by the same time. And there are still two weeks to go until the primary elections. Minnesotans have been able to vote early either in person or by mail without an excuse since 2014 and the Secretary of States. Steve Simon says he's thrilled at the growth he's seeing in voter participation. This week, three of the five candidates for governor took part in a forum in Mankato, and this really focused on issues relevant to greater Minnesota. The 90-minute discussion featured DFL candidates Aaron Murphy and Tim Walls and GOP candidate Jeff Johnson. And our Eric Shalou was there and has more on what the candidates had to say. There were no heated exchanges between the three candidates here at this gubernatorial forum at the Verizon Center in Mankato. Several hundred voters gathered to hear these candidates talk specifically about issues for greater Minnesota. Tim Walls took the stage in his hometown of Mankato, joined by fellow DFL gubernatorial candidate Aaron Murphy of St. Paul and Republican Jeff Johnson from Plymouth on Thursday night. Invited but absent from the forum, Lori Swanson, her mother had a medical issue, and GOP Tim Pawlenty had a scheduling conflict. The Mankato Forum was put on by several organizations that focus on greater Minnesota issues. Three out of ten Minnesotans live in rural areas, according to the latest data from the state. Child care is, is the big issue. A question on what the state's role is in creating affordable child care options in rural areas found all three candidates agreeing the state could do more to help families. We can use tax rebates and tax uh, incentives to employers who are trying to do the things that we know is the best for child development and happiest employees and best productivity, put child care into the workplace. We have to take care of it for our economic well-being, for the well-being of our children, and for our workforce. We already know we're short of workforce in manufacturing and health care and education. And if we want to make sure that we're meeting the needs to build our economy of the future, we got to make sure that people who want to work and can work can work. While I do believe that we could probably do a better job with respect to uh, the sliding uh, scale and with scholarships, government needs to back off a little bit so that these people can provide the service they want to provide. The governor's race has not seen many candidate forums ahead of the primary. We've also not seen many statewide polls taken to see which one of these candidates is ahead in this race. That primary is August 14th. In Mankato, Eric Shalou, 5 Eyewitness News. And we will have all five of the leading candidates for governor on our program to debate the issues ahead of the August 14th primary. You can see our debate with the GOP candidates, Tim Valenti and Jeff Johnson, next Sunday, August 5th. And our debate with the DFL candidates, Aaron Murphy, Tim Walls, and Lori Swanson will air Sunday, August 12th. And right now, you can go to the Five Take Action section of KSTP.com and submit a video question for those candidates to answer. And we just might use the question you submit during our debates. 
Farmers all across the Midwest say tariffs and the escalating trade war are really hitting their bottom lines hard. President Donald Trump visited Iowa Thursday to hear more about those concerns. He touted a new deal he struck this week with the European Union to open up more export markets, and he also took aim at China. China is doing a little number. They want to attack the the farm belt because they know those the farmers love me, and uh, so they figured, oh, what we'll do is we'll attack them. And I see that, and I said, they're not going to win. This comes as the president announced a $12 billion aid package for farmers affected by the tariffs. And many farmers say this wouldn't be needed if the president didn't get into a trade war in the first place. As farmers, I can tell you, we, you know, would rather get our income from the market. Um, you know, it's a handout that we really don't want. Some of the package includes direct payments to farmers, and it's not clear right now just how those payments would be calculated or dispersed. Up next here on the program, Andy Bram and Ember Reichgott Young will be here for political analysis, and we're going to take you to Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District for a good old fashioned political potluck. The Democrats hoping to challenge a four term Republican congressman for that seat come November. Welcome back. On August 14th, voters in Wisconsin's 7th Congressional District will select a Democrat to take on four-term Congressman Sean Duffy. And our Eric Shalou traveled deep into the 7th District to Sawyer County this week for a good old-fashioned political potluck with the candidates. We have potluck, which is famous in Wisconsin because you never know what you're going to get. It may look like your typical summer picnic in the park. Dogs, brats, burgers. But the one at Ojibwe Town Park was different as the crowd came to dine on Wisconsin politics. In the crowd was Margaret Engelbretson, who's running for Congress in the 7th District. The effects of the election, and I was really concerned about the direction of our country. It was the 2016 election that led Engebretson, an attorney and a 24-year retired military veteran from Polk County to run. As the House was debating the health care bill, and I realized that they were going to destroy and dismantle the health care that I spend every day as a doctor providing. That's what fueled the other Democrat on the ballot, Brian Ewert, a Marshfield doctor, to enter the campaign. The main issue that divides them is health care. Ewert backs an option where Wisconsinites could get Medicare-style coverage through the ACA exchange. The advantage of this is that this way we don't force anyone to change the coverage they already have. We provide the option that all can choose to be in Medicare. You favor the single-payer health care system that would take the responsibility for insurance away from business. I've talked to several small business owners. A lot of these folks are working 12-hour days, six, seven days a week because they can barely afford their insurance on the exchanges and much less hiring employees. The Democrat to come out of the primary will face off against Republican Sean Duffy in November. The last election, Duffy beat his Democratic opponent by more than 84,000 votes. Democratic Party organizers here say they feel as though the district could be going more purple this time around. In Sawyer County, Wisconsin, Eric Shalhoub, 5 Eyewitness News. Hey, and there's something to look forward to here, too. We are going to hit the road this election season for our new political brew segment. Eric Shalhoub will host a series of roundtable discussions with voters all across the state over some coffee, and you can sign up at KSTP.com if you're interested.
Time now for political analysis, and we're joined this week by Republican strategist Andy Brem and former DFL state senator Ember Reichscott Young. Thank you so much for being here. Good to be here. So we have to talk about the big story this week, and that is the death of a corrections officer that really stunned the state. There's so much finger pointing going on. Notably, here, Governor Mark Dayton is criticizing the legislature for not approving funding to hire more guards at the prisons. That's some of the criticism that we're hearing. So, so how will this whole situation? maybe affect the upcoming session. Uh, Amber, let's start with you. Well, the governor is right. The Republicans have not fully funded their, the needed request for the Department of Corrections. In fact, they've only provided less than 10% of the correctional officers that were needed and were asked for. So, of course, that raises the risk. We absolutely have to fund it. What Officer Guam, Guam did was to put a face on the needs of state government. He put a face. You know, the, unfortunately, what happened last year is that the Republicans were looking too much to who they could give tax breaks to, including those who didn't need them, rather than investing in the real safety and security needs of state government. I hope that will change in the next session. Okay, but we're also hearing calls here that funding for the State Department of Corrections has gone up every year. And, and Andy, what, what's your perspective on this? Well, first of all, this is an absolute tragedy. Uh, this officer gave his life protecting the people of Minnesotans, and we should honor that. Uh, the budget went up by, I think, over $200 million uh, in the last session. That's a lot of money. So, again, we need to do whatever we have to to ensure that our corrections officers are safe, and we should look at this issue so that it never happens again. Republicans and Democrats ag agreed that this is a key role for state government. There's no question about it. But, again, throwing more money at something isn't always the answer. Let's figure out what happened, do whatever we need to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. But Based on what I can tell, the budget's gone up substantially and money may not be the issue here. But again, now is not the time for politics and talking about session. It's time about honoring um, a fallen hero. Amber, what's your response to that? Is there misuse, misspending going on with the more money that is being given to the department? We certainly want to honor uh, the fallen hero, as he said. But let's hope that there's a positive outcome, that he hasn't died in vain. Let's hope that the future officers are protected. And yes, there might have been misspending. Goodness gracious, we can always improve. And we need to put in more video surveillance. We need to put in more tools to protect. Absolutely, more technology. But when you only provide 10% of the requested funding, you know that you're underfunded. That should not continue. And that's not political. This is not, uh, uh, this is a bipartisan issue. Andy, is the onus on the legislature to put some, some checks in there to make sure that the money is being used appropriately? Absolutely. I mean, again, I think we need to take some time to look at exactly what happened, how we can make the department improve. I'm, I'm, I'm for doing that across the board. Yeah. But again, we're talking about a $200 million increase in their budget during the last session. That's a lot of money. So if, if more money than that is needed to make sure that this doesn't happen again, I'm all for it. But we need to just make, again, it's the devil's in the details, and Ember knows that, and it's a nice talking point, but we need to, to look at what needs to be done to make sure this doesn't happen again. If it's more money, great, but it may not be. Can I really I just, want. Go ahead. Can I just say it's about priorities, and that's really what happened. Two hundred million there, or two hundred million in the hands of the tobacco companies and others that didn't need it last session. That's the real question. I want to move on very quickly here to just talk about the governor debate that happened in in Mankato. The candidates for governor, big crowd down there, and they really focus on issues that uh, affect greater Minnesota. Uh, education was brought up by all of the candidates who were able to participate in that forum. Um, but what else do you think we're going to hear about on the on the campaign trail here, Andy? 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, a lot just in terms of the direction the state's going to go. I mean, we couldn't have uh, more differing candidates on either side. I mean, on the Democrats, you have basically a urban-centric ticket that is interested in pursuing the interests of, you know, the Twin Cities and, you know, the Republicans that really want to do what's best for the entire state. So, it's you know, do we want bigger government? Do we want less government? Do we want more regulation, less regulation? So yeah. uh, the contrast couldn't be clearer. Ember, is that Murphy Mayquaid ticket in trouble here because it's so metrocentric? Well, they're trying to certainly have their uh, one Minnesota idea out there so that I think what you really are hearing from in the rural area is health care. And that's something that all Minnesotans care about, whether where, wherever you live, transportation, education, child care. Those are issues that everyone cares about. So I do believe that the metro ticket will have an impact on the primary. It will be interesting to see how much of an impact that has. We are out of time here for political analysis. Thank you both for being here on Thank the you. program. Still ahead here, uh, Brian McClung and Catherine Tanucci are going to be here for Face Off. We'll be back in just about two minutes. Hope you stick around. Welcome back, everybody. Hey, St. Paul is really looking to add a little more nightlife to the city. The city wants 12 new commercial districts established along University Avenue between the state capitol and Raymond Avenue, and that's right along that light rail green line, as you may know, going past the new professional soccer stadium. See what they're doing here? Officials say it would give hotels and restaurants the chance to fill some vacant locations and buildings, and they also have a liquor license as part of the deal. The one food truck owner we spoke with, though, doesn't like the idea. As soon as a restaurant is going in the behind me, where I'm standing right now, uh, I have a certain zoning where I can put my food truck or trailer, so I wouldn't be allowed to be at a certain distance of the restaurant. He's got to look out for his livelihood, right? The city is planning a public hearing on this plan next Tuesday night. It's going to happen at the Rondo Library. All right, time now for Face Off. We're joined by Brian McClung, former communications director for Governor Pawlenty. Thank you for being here. And Catherine Tanucci is here, former press secretary for Governor Mark Dayton. Thank you both. You bet. Let's begin with uh, the tariff situation here. Lots of talk about a trade war. The news recently, uh, the president made announcing that $12 billion in aid that's going to go to farmers uh, to help farmers impacted by the uh, tariffs that are being placed on our goods because, you know, in retaliation to the tariffs that we're placing on, on things. And so uh, let's begin with that. Is this a self-made crisis? A lot of people are saying that. I imagine you'll say yes. I, yes, 100 percent. This is something that could have been avoided in the first place. Farmers, people who voted for President Trump had, had much different expectations than what, has, than what has played out. And we are seeing now farmers suffering greatly. Um, and, and sure, it's nice. No one's going to say they're opposed to a $12 billion payout to farmers because they really need help. But that is truly just a Band-Aid on a much, much bigger problem. And I think it's going to have devastating effects in, in this election and for the president in the long term. Catherine, thank you. Brian, so how do you, how do you spin this? I mean, be, what's your response? Well, here's the thing. What China does is not free and fair trade. What China does is they force U.S. companies to hand over intellectual property. They force U.S. companies to have Chinese partners, and they're stealing our information. So I think the American people are glad to see President Trump stand up to China to say, 
the United States is not going to take this anymore. We're going to get a better deal. We're going to force a better deal. But there is surely some short-term pain that happens as a result of that. So that's why the president and the USDA are coming forward with $12 billion in aid. What they're saying is we want to try to help us through this hard part in the short term, but there's a long-term benefit for the U.S. to stand up and get better trade deals. So the question is, can you get farmers you know, through this harvest? This is going to be tough. Mm -hmm. We've seen soybean prices go down. That's an important market here in Minnesota. But can we get through this for longer-term benefits? Well, you've got tariffs kind of going in both directions here. So what about the argument just... None of it. And the open market should be the best approach. And then, but that's not what we have. I mean, these China and the European countries have tariffs on U.S. goods. So it's not like there were no tariffs before this. And now President Trump is responding. Tariffs have been in place and have existed for a long time. So the question is, can you use this to, re to push back and to negotiate better deals? And that's what President Trump's trying to do. Catherine, I'll give you the last word on this. That's what we were promised. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people voted for the president. It hasn't happened yet, though. And I think that the president's been inconsistent at best in his positions on trade. And I think a lot of people are very concerned about what he's going to do next in his very unpredictable, as we've come to know, style. So let's change subjects here. Let's talk about Russian election meddling, okay? And uh, some news recently here, Missouri Senator Claire McCaskill reported Russian hackers already tried unsuccessfully to hack her campaign. And so, so how, what's a candidate to do as, as we go forward here? Uh, where do we go? Yeah, invest in better cybersecurity, well, right? Sure, and this, sure. But, but this is not new. I mean, and there have been hacks on uh, campaigns for years. And so campaigns now, I think, have to be especially vigilant about this, make sure that their systems are secure, and be aware. And yeah, I don't think anybody really thinks that the Russians are stopping, right? They're going to look for ways to try to leverage their influence, to try to hack into to, you know, candidates uh, and try to get information and try to do that. So campaigns have to be particularly vi vigilant these days. Mm. And I think that's, that's going to continue into the foreseeable future. There's no question. I do think, I mean, candidates can't take this for granted, but I think a lot of Americans are looking to the president to stand up to Russia on this, too. And I, th I know that we've seen in recent uh, national surveys that Americans do not believe that the president has been strong enough on Russia. Um, he has flip-flopped on his answer on whether or not he believes Russians interfered. Actually, when we know that they did in our elections, he has suggested that if they're going to interfere, it's going to benefit Democrats, which we've seen now, I mean, in the earliest stories of, of, of attempted hacking, mm. they're targeting Democrats. And so in addition to candidates certainly beefing up their own cybersecurity, we need the president to take a stronger stand against Russia. All right. So that's where we're going to have to leave it here for Face Off. Thank you both for being here on the program this week. We appreciate it. And looking ahead here, let's, let's lighten it up a little bit. All right. The big surprise for a young hot dog stand owner in Minneapolis. When we come back, you, you guys will want to see this too. <laughs> business is coming to support my business. And so I really appreciate it. Look at this entrepreneur here, a young hot dog stand owner in Minneapolis, North Minneapolis, got a special delivery direct from the iconic Oscar Mayer Wienermobile rolled on up. We told you about Jaquan Faulkner earlier this month, and instead of shutting down his North Minneapolis hot dog stand, the city helped him get his permit so he could stay in business. And on Thursday, Oscar Mayer delivered hundreds of hot dogs to help him out. That Jaquan will now be able to cook and sell to his loyal customers, and he also got to take a ride in the Wienermobile. That is awesome. Don't forget, you can always listen to episodes of that issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We've had links here posted on our website for you. If you're interested, just go to the ad issue page at kstp.com. And that is all the time we have for this week. We'll see you right back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.